Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One thing that we ought to check out, basically how pigs meet their demise. I, I, I don't know whether ice skating pigs would be high up there or not, but I suppose they don't get a lot of practice, do they? I think that's part of the problem. Hello and welcome back once again to the Bake Down podcast with me, Josh Landy, founder of Bake With A Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former contestants from the great British Bake Off. Now, three episodes down, we're getting into the swing of things with this series, and sadly, we're down already to just nine bakers, but we're absolutely loving this series and hope that our podcast is adding to your enjoyment of it. We would, of course, love you to join us at one of our online classes, and some very special ones we have coming up include Dan Beasley Harling's incredibly beautiful Princess Tartar Showstopper class. Dan's been working on this for several months, but has now perfected the recipe. It's being held on both Saturday, October 23rd and Sunday, 5th of December. So do check that out online. Meanwhile, Howard is teaching a lovely baklava class this Saturday, whilst Rosie Brandreth has another of her brilliant s'mores cruffing classes coming up in November that is proving very popular. There are over 20 other classes to check out. Remember, it's bakewithalegend.com slash online classes, and you can use the code podcast to get 10% off. So episode three, Bread Week. I hope you'll enjoy the podcast, where yet again, Lizzie had given us a very unusual story involving an animal. Now, Dan, let's start on the animal theme because we spoke about ostriches a couple of weeks ago and we were a little bit suspicious about Lizzie's story. I've just got to get straight in here because it's not about baking. What do we make of her pig story this week? Did that leap out to you, this pet pig? Have you have you heard anything strange as that? And it sounded like this pig had a terrible ending. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we picked up on this straight away uh, because this is one of the, definitely one of the things that stood out to me. I did, did think I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, the British show The League of Gentlemen. There's sort of a man's gone missing, and just as someone's leaving the shop, she's like, "We didn't burn him." <laughs> <laughs> This reminded me very much of Lizzie with her pig. She was like, yeah, he died. We didn't eat him. Um, (laughs) uh, 
And I'm slightly suspicious about that. Gosh, she is fascinating, Lizzie, isn't she? She never disappoints us, just has the wildest stories. I do feel like, you know, when there's some been some horrible crime and all the neighbours are like, oh, we didn't suspect a thing. I wonder if it was Lizzie, everyone would be like, oh, we might have seen that coming. This is <laughs> absolutely nuts. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know of the percentage of pigs, Howard, in the country. It must be a small percentage that end up having to be put down for slipping on ice. That seems a fairly unusual way to go. You know, I don't know. Is that one thing that we ought to check out? Basically, how pigs meet their demise. I, I, I don't know whether ice skating pigs would be high up there or not, but I suppose they don't get a lot of practice, do they? I think that's part of the problem. It's a it's a new area of expertise, and I suppose pigs on ice, pigs on it's like pigs in space, isn't it? <laughs> <Like> Muppets. <laughs> yeah, maybe if they ever do return with another Babe Pig film, that could be the one. But babe, babe on Ice, maybe that is the film that is yet to be done, and we can yet see uh, some some ice skating pigs. Jane, was that the most unusual moment of this episode, or have you did you did you see something else? <laughs> No, it was the most unusual. I didn't spot anything else. Um, but Lizzie's really growing on me. She's such a laugh, isn't she? And whether she says these things deliberately, and I very much doubt that she does, perhaps she, like Babe, isn't innocent abroad and doesn't realise. But when she goes to watch the edit herself, she'll go, oh, my goodness, did I really do that? No, she is brilliant. I hope she stays for a long time because she gives me a lot of laughs. We will crack on with talking about Bread Week. And we started off, how with this signature focaccia. And I remember being with you. I think we have made focaccias in the past. What do you think of this as a signature challenge? What are the most important things that we are looking for? Is it this cr crispy crust, irregular crumb structure? What, what are we hoping for? I think we are looking for certainly a crust on the outside. The kind of key thing that you're looking for in focaccia is, is that holiness. You want bubbles. You want the texture to be random. And you want it to have really nice little pockets of air in there. It's tricky to do it at the best of times, but trying to cram that into two hours, two hours, 45 minutes, it's a challenge. But that's what Bake Off's about, isn't it? It certainly is. And one of the issues here is clearly about the amount of water. And we had another moment from this series where Paul, was he giving too much away when he went up and he was sort of put George in a situation where he wasn't quite sure if he'd used enough water, so he ended up making another batch and it ended up being much better. What do you feel here about Paul giving too much away almost? I was a bit surprised, actually, because quite often he will kind of scowl or say, really, or something like that to make people doubt themselves. But when George had said, I didn't use all my water because it wasn't necessary, it's possible that actually, did, uh, you know, the absorbency of, of different flowers works differently. So if you've got a good feel for focaccia, you might not use all the water that you'd originally planned to. But I think he was just thinking, you know, I won't put it in because actually it's easier to work with. And that's not the way to go with focaccia. You need to have an ice wet dough. With a handshake, didn't we, Dan? We saw the first handshake in the series at this point with the wonderful Giuseppe. And did he deserve this handshake? Because there has been accusations of, of handshakes being given out too early, but you know about handshakes, Dan, so we'll, we'll come to you on this. So there's been one in the th by the third episode. I think that's perfectly fine. 
just happy i mean obviously we don't know with the focaccias they all looked pretty much the same didn't they i mean the focaccias the focaccia there's no structural challenge or anything like that but yeah i mean yeah it looked great i was slightly intrigued he used milk in his i was slightly confused by that uh that's not something that i've ever done but yeah it's i mean it looked great what paul goes for more than anything else is did you execute the bread correctly you know have you got the right texture is the bake correct and i think if if you've got that and it tastes good you know that's certainly going to help him and it's certainly i mean it's, it's very hard to judge from your sofa but it's it looked perfectly baked to me so um yeah I, I wouldn't argue with that there were others that i thought sounded more interesting in terms of the flavors maybe but you can't beat a well-executed classic can you so no, no i think it was well deserved yeah jane dan just touched upon some interesting flavors one that caught my eye jürgen's kipper catchier um <laughs> Oh God. Yes, I was Sounding thinking. gross to me. Why? Why? Oh God. I mean, I, I don't mind a bit of smoked fish at the best of times, but oh God, I, honestly, there is no way. That with some boiled eggs, oh, it just made me want to bath. I mean, it was just, uh, Prusa was very polite and said she didn't love the flavours. Oh God, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't have gone in. You know, at the end of a challenge, most of the food gets eaten by the crew, but we used to get bits of it up in the green room so we could taste it. Well, let me tell you, I think that one would have been left in the basket. Nobody would have been heading for that one, would they? Sounded absolutely gross. But I was just wondering, back to Giuseppe, who I'd like to tell everybody that I did tip to win. Yeah. So he's really keeping keeping me up there. He said breakfast in, I don't know how you pronounce it, Gator, which is from where he lives. And I, I did look it up on the map because my daughter has a very lovely, lovely, lovely Italian boyfriend who is from Milan. And they use milk because it's northern Italy. They use a lot of dairy and not so much garlic or olive oil or tomato and things because it's it's up north and it's colder and, and in their ragu they put milk in their ragu and I did wonder whether he came whether this Italian town that he came from was up north but it's not it's I did look it up and it's south of Rome so I'm not sure whether it is traditional to put milk in your bread I mean clearly it worked didn't it look brilliant to be honest I'm sure it was absolutely delicious you don't get a handshake for nothing didn't think it was the nicest looking because all those bits of onion and tomato and everything almost looked buried and for Paul to say he would have made one like that I don't know well I, I didn't think it looked the nicest I thought there were others that looked nicer obviously there weren't others that tasted nicer but good traditional flavours I love the idea of the onions and things I didn't quite like some of the other Christelle's roasted grapes and feta I thought sounded really interesting and I think would be great in something else with fennel and walnut I think but all the truffle and stuff you know sometimes I think when we go in for these challenges on Bake Off we do try to make them different for being just for the sake of being different and I'm not always sure it works to be honest but there's me just being a miserable old traditionalist. Now, Christelle Howard ended up saying about being annoyingly thin. Now, I wouldn't mind being annoyingly thin, but <laughs> in this context, perhaps uh, perhaps not exactly what you were looking for. No, I thought, you know, I thought the sizing of, of these was a bit strange, actually, because I don't know whether they were, I would assume that they were given a kind of rough size that their focaccia had to be. 
and some of them seemed to be very large and flat. And then you'd got Maggie, which almost looked as if she'd done quite a, a sort of large bread roll. There was quite a bit of variety in terms of the the size of the catchers. I don't know whether Christelle thought that, that it was a sort of comment on herself that she's annoyingly thin but beautiful, but she seemed to take it quite well. And Dan, give us some thoughts here on, on Maggie and, and Rashika and what possibly didn't go brilliantly for them. The main problem that we had with Maggie was all the toppings coming off. J- Jane said uh, earlier, you know, when you sort of bury the toppings, it, it's not so beautiful, but then they can all fall off. And I think Maggie did it, went the other way. She just didn't push them down at all, really, did she? And they all sort of came uh, came rolling off. So there's uh, maybe the balance to be struck there. Rashika really amused me today when she said, Noel said, oh, do you make this at home? She's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, I am Italian. Um, <laughs> So it's nice to see Rashika's personality coming out a bit more. So I'm starting to really, really enjoy Rashika. I warmed to her after her technical meltdown last week. Yeah, no, she's uh, proving to be a bit of fun. But uh, yeah, I think that with a focaccia, it's like, unless there's a proving or a baking issue, there's not very much to go wrong, is there? So certainly visible errors are rare with a focaccia, I would say. I did think, I mean, with Rashika, she did one of those incredibly popular things that sort of swept social media where you decorate the top and make it look like a garden or a something which looked gorgeous but actually are, are not quite so great to eat for the reason that you don't get a bit of everything but I mean they they are like an oil painting in focaccia and I think she made them that was her mistake doing that because although visually great in the same way as Amanda as well you don't get a bit of everything on your piece of bread. And I think that's a real downside with focaccia. You know, you do, it does need to be rustic. It does need to be random, but it does need to have lots of toppings. So everybody gets a bit of their favorite bit. And also I didn't see anybody drenching it in oil. I always give my focaccia a really good coating of oil at the end and it it goes into those pockets and it's not a, let's face it, it's not a low calorie bread focaccia. It's oozy and it's soft and it's unctuous and absolutely delicious but poor old Rashika thought she was going to be up to the minute and I think probably fell down with the design as well as too much garlic. Yeah I would agree I think it's those kind of focaccias are great for Instagram but not necessarily quite so great for Mm -hmm. eating in real life but we do a lot of it for the gram, don't we, Jane? So um, we've Speak all yourself, done it. Speak mine's all tasted natural, Dan. I just, <laughs> that's how I bake every day. I did love Amanda's comment, being one of these ladies. Girls who are pickers wear big knickers. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. I hadn't heard that one before. Let me tell you, I'm going to stop picking. Maybe my, my underwear drawer will get smaller. Well, we, we thoroughly enjoy seeing all these uh, focaccias come to life, even if some of them were not all to our taste. Certainly looking at that yeah, kipper caccia, I think that would have been a, a happily eaten tenth out of tenth from, from all of us here. Now, we had a couple of emails in, which we would like to thank everyone who has been in touch. This first one is addressed to you, Howard. It's from Chelsea in Dallas. On your first episode, when discussing baked goods similar to malt loaf that get better the next day, Howard mentioned parking and gingerbread. 
what is parking and how do you even spell it? Jane oh. was right. <laughs> Americans have never heard of malt loaf, let alone tasted it. I love the show and I'm so excited to listen along with an active series. Thank you, Chelsea. So, Howard, you better inform everyone. Yeah, parking. I thought it was a, a Yorkshire kind of loaf, but I might be wrong. I thought the origins of it, quite often people refer to it as Yorkshire parking. So, it's just, it's again, it's a sticky loaf. It's not got fruit or anything like that. It's usually got oatmeal in it, which actually gives it a slightly nubbly texture. And again, it's one of these things where it's best if it's kind of left to kind of mature and get stickier. Slice it, put butter on it. So yeah, it's a, a kind of sticky, dark loaf, slightly nubbly with oatmeal. Very delicious, actually. Usually it's served around bonfire night. I might have to think about a class. I mean, bonfire night, not so far away, Howard. And if there's a sufficient demand there. Dan, anything to add on parking? No, I thought parking was like gingerbread. Have I got that completely wrong? Yeah, it is. It's it's sort of spicy, sticky, got a slightly nubbly texture with oatmeal in it. Oh, oatmeal. Okay. Mm. Yeah. No, I don't really know. i got to be honest. My mother made gingerbread, but it definitely didn't have oatmeal in it, so I don't think it was parking. Oh, I've never had parking either. I was just looking at it now, and it's exactly as Howard says. Yeah. Served in nice chunks, actually, and it's better to leave it a couple of days and to make it go all sticky. So there we go, just a bit like our malt loaf. Well, Chelsea, thank you for touching base. Um, well, our second email uh, this week comes from uh, Carrie in uh, Michigan, Dan. And Jane, it says, hello, Josh, Howard, Jane and Dan. Happy days. Bake Off is back. So is my favourite podcast. I so enjoy listening to your comments and conversations. It enhances my enjoyment of this wonderful show. I hope I have a question that you can address. I know the baker's recipes have to be vetted before the show each week, probably partly so the staff can provide the correct ingredients. What happens if a baker suddenly runs into a problem and decides that he or she needs to make something additional? Where do those ingredients come from? Is there a kind of pantry of standard items to pull from? One example is Flora in season six, where she realised her three-tiered cheesecakes were too boring for a showstopper, decided to make macarons for decoration. Where did she get the ingredients? Or when a baker has to start again, are extra quantities of ingredients supplied as a general rule? Related to this, what are the rules for a baker? to bring from home in terms of tools or ingredients. A point is always made when a baker has built or created something original, templates, cake pans, or display stands. While Dorrit, for example, I mean, this is delving into the Bake Off archives, isn't it? While Dorrit, for example, was faulted for bringing a manufactured frog stamp. Some bakers have brought ingredients like quail eggs or wild garlic. How does a show deal with this? Thank you for considering my questions. Thank you for the time and effort you give to the Bake Down. It is top-notch and top of my playlist. Carrie in Michigan. There's a lot to unravel there, Dan. Will you do your best? And then we'll let Jane also uh, maybe take over on some of these because there was a lot to get through. Yes. So they encourage you not to change your recipe. They do have extra ingredients on hand. You know, the basic ingredients should you mess up and need to start again, as many of us did. I did about three or four times need to start again. I don't think they showed all of them. Yeah, you can bring anything you want from home, but they don't like you to change the recipes. They, they really, really object to that. I think they're less strict as the weeks go on, but certainly at the start, they're like, please do not change anything because just logistically, it's too difficult if, uh, if they need to start playing with ingredients as sort of small as it looks on television it is a very uh, high quality production and there's lots of runners and staff so they can run out to the shop and get you things should you need them if it's an emergency one of the stories that i often tell on our classes is about uh, the great cherry scandal uh, where no cherries were found in the shops 
and Bake Off had some cherries shipped up by Harrods, the most expensive department store in the country, who had some cherries flown over specially from Spain. And I think, I believe they it was like 300 pounds, which is, you know, 400 bucks, I guess, uh, to get these cherries delivered, just a small handful of cherries. So they will go do whatever it takes to get the ingredients that you need. But they do like, if you are going to uh, do something, like you said about Dorrit's stamp, they do like you to make everything yourself. They don't want you to uh, use anything that's pre-produced. I mean, I agree with everything that Dan said. I hadn't heard about the cherry scandal. Um, but they do like you to send in pictures of what you're bringing. Because certainly when I was on the BBC, you know, they don't do any commercials or anything like that. So you can't have things with big logos on. And I guess they still double check that uh, you're not sending something that says, well, I can't think of anything, but Adidas all over it. We couldn't wear T-shirts like that. So you can't be seen to be um, advertising. So they do approve everything. And they do, yes, have a supply of staples at, at the back. We don't see that bit, but they must have the equivalent of a supermarket shelf out the back. Uh, but I remember Paul Flora making those macarons and she got ripped to shreds by Paul, who said, if you're going to make something, make them good and they're rubbish or something. Words to that effect. No, but basically that is it. And we had to make everything ourselves. And it tripped um, Andrew and I up, actually, when we were both on the Christmas special. Because I remember my husband making biscuit cutters out of old sweet tins and things. You know, we were never allowed to use anything that was shop bought as far as the cutters were concerned. And then when we were on the Christmas special, people on the series after us, which was, I think, Liam and Flo, were using shop bought cutters and Andrew and I with and shop bought fondant. And Andrew and I were there making our fondant and making our cutters and doing all that sort of stuff. So whether they've relaxed those rules a bit, I don't know. Things change over the years. For goodness sake, we were, we were what, five years ago now. And just for the sake of making life easy, perhaps they allowed them to use certain, certain things that we weren't allowed. I don't, I don't know. I can't speak for it now. Things do change, but yeah. they're pretty good. They're pretty well stocked. But you couldn't have your cherries at the last minute, though. You couldn't change your mind at the last minute. But they, they do their very best to accommodate. And if not, we bring the ingredients. So if I wanted a, a special Kent raspberry vinegar that I always use then you just bring it in and hope you don't forget it if it's crucial to yeah. you right well uh, thank you very much to uh, everyone who did email in sorry we haven't had time to uh, read them all but keep them coming it's the bake down at bakewithalegend.com Let's move on to talking about this week's technical challenge. How would 15 ciabatta breadsticks served with a tzatziki dip? We're looking for them all to be the same size and, and colour. It's certainly a soft dough that we were told is, is tricky to work with. We had a weird moment we discussed earlier with the pig. What do we think of Noel throwing some dough at Christelle Howard? <laughs> What is going on? Do you know, my mum would hate that. My mum hates to see food being wasted, even small amounts like that. But yeah, I, I mean, Noel was, uh, obviously he gets a bit bored sometimes, so he, he tries to find things to do. I think blaming it on, was it Jürgen he blamed it on? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Seems unlikely. <laughs> yeah. 
I think Christelle believed it though. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. uh, but yeah, it was it was an I thought it was an interesting challenge. Again, really tight to be doing something like like ciabatta in that amount of time. I've not made ciabatta breadsticks before, but I've made ciabatta. It is one of those doughs where it's really really difficult to do if you're not doing it in a mixer because it is again it's a, a wet dough. Sometimes people do biga that they do a, a sort of pre kind of dough to begin with and allow that to mature and then add the rest of your mixture to that so you couldn't do that in kind of two hours so it's not going to have the same kind of depth of flavor that that it would have if you were if you were giving it a longer longer time but yeah i thought it was an interesting challenge it's one of those things where it's it's tricky to shape because you don't want to be handling it very much so actually trying to get it into a kind of breadstick shape has its difficulties really yes now dan we were told that noel didn't know what a breadstick was until he was 18 what what, what age do you think you were when you were alerted to a breadstick i don't know i mean to me breadsticks have always been more like uh grassini like the uh, very sort of thin super crunchy so these breadsticks i mean to be honest it's more like a sort of uh, more like a baguette uh, really, isn't it? It's just more like a, a sandwich, the way that they made them, you know, something you could have for lunch and maybe slice it and put something in. Ciabatta is very hard to, to work with, very easy to make an absolute pig's ear out of it. So to be honest, I was expecting worse out of this technical because it is a very high hydration loaf and, you know, you've got to sort of dust very carefully on all sides and, you know, it's very easy for it to become very messy very quickly. So I actually thought... They did a surprisingly good job of the shaping, but it was just that the baking let a lot of them down. I just think they didn't leave themselves enough time at all. And it's such a, a shame when that happens because you can bet your bottom dollar that these guys knew it was underbaked. They just ran out of time, didn't they? That's devastating on Bake Off to have to present something. I mean, I speak from personal experience. It's quite traumatic for me. But when you have to present something and you've run out of time and it's you know it's underbaked, but there's nothing you can do. You have to have it be judged. And uh, yeah, several of them suffered from that problem, didn't they? Definitely did. Talk to us about Giuseppe's, Jane, because... They looked great, and he was unsurprisingly the winner in this round. Well, she's happy. I mean, he's just going strength to strength, and he was pretty strong to start with. Paul, at the beginning, was going, well, we have an Italian in the tent, and he should know what a ciabatta is. Or... But is he wise enough? Wise enough? Wise? Does that mean you're not wise if you can't bake ciabatta? Is he wise enough to be able to produce these sticks? I know, what a stupid thing to say. Sorry, Paul. I mean, I'm... God, is he wise enough? You have to be wise if you can't make bread. It's a ridiculous thing to say. It made me quite cross. <laughs> I went back, I ran it back and listened a couple of times. Did he really say that? It's the inconsistency, isn't it? So Giuseppe said, I'm going to cut my olives because otherwise the olive might be the, the whole width of the stick. Then during the judging, Paul's going... Oh, yes, you can see the whole olives in there. You can see the whole of olives in there. Lizzie's is great. You can see the whole of olives in there. He didn't comment then about Giuseppe cutting his olives in half or doing whatever. Frankly, I would have cut my olives in half as well for just that reason. I, I thought his looked perfectly lovely. They were cooked correctly, crunchy on the outside, as good as you could get it in two hours. I thought he did a good job. But two hours for any loaf, let alone one as difficult as ciabatta, where you need to get as much of that air pocket in as you possibly can. I think two hours is impossible. Why didn't they give them two and a half? 
I was a bit annoyed by it, really. They were, I thought they were set up to fail. And, and Chibata, for anybody who follows me on social media, knows that I have struggled year after year to make a Chibata. And I finally cracked it. I can make a decent Chibata now. And for them to have to do it in two hours is a real struggle. I'm not, not at all surprised half of them were like snakes, I think they were described as. Well, that's a nice segue to talk about Dan, who has got a class coming up, don't you, Dan? Because, of course, Howard last Sunday taught his brandy snaps with huge success, so much so that we're going to put that on as a class later in the year ahead of Christmas. So for those of you that didn't sign up to do our weekly class where we're teaching the signature or the technical, there is an opportunity to join Howard to do that again. Dan, tell us how you're going to solve this problem at your class. How are we going to get this done? We're not in a tent where we've got to stop dead on two hours. But what have you found? Well, as everyone knows, I'm an incredibly easygoing, relaxed kind of person. And when Josh said, you know, what weeks do, do you want to do for this mystery thing? I was like, oh, whatever, just sign me up for whatever. And somehow I got lumped with bread week and now seriously regret it. Yeah, it's difficult to get it done. And what I realised is the main thing that's going to take the time is all the proving time. So actually what we're going to do in this class is we're going to make a version, we're going to make a focaccia and we're going to make ciabatta breadsticks at the same time because the... We've got time to make them both, if, if it's going to take that long anyway. So we're going to be making a focaccia with sort of uh, roast garlic and caramelised onions with a bit of tomatoes and rosemary. And then we're going to do uh, a black olive and feta, uh, ciabatta breadsticks, very much in the same style. And then we'll make a tzatziki as well, because we've got time to do it all. It might dribble a little past two hours. So come with your questions ready. We'll have a bit of time to chat, but I've, I've filled the time as best as I can. But I think this is, a, because they're both very high hydration doughs, we're sort of able to make them out of the same dough. And I think I think this is going to work. I've, been, I've done it I've done it a couple of times now since so we found out what the challenges were going to be. And I think it's going to be all right. I think it's going to be all right. We certainly hope so. And we're looking forward to doing them. We'll move on. Unless, Howard, have you got any other comments about, about this technical? We had Giuseppe first, Lizzie second, then Amanda Freya, Jürgen Chiggs, George, Maggie... Christelle Rashika at the bottom. Did anything else catch your eye there, Howard? I think it was just Lizzie's comment. I mean, it's not, it, it could have been my hump of this week when she said, Who eats a breadstick? It's like, well, actually, people who are hungry eat breadsticks. <laughs> Certainly, when I've been to a restaurant, I've found that I've been necking the wine a bit too quickly and the food's not come out yet. You're very grateful for a breadstick. You're not wrong. That is exactly <laughs> what I think of a, a breadstick <laughs> as well. Now let's move on to the showstopper. We were looking for a theme display made out of milk breads. They were supposed to uh, reflect their theme within the bake. Jane, how easy or otherwise is this challenge, given we've got to use milk bread? Well, I think it's all in the planning, really. George's one with the towering koala it was gorgeous, wasn't it? I thought it was lovely, but constructing anything with height with a soft dough I think with any dough that possibly hasn't cooled as much as it should because they've only got four and a half hours is very difficult so the ones that had, had got much flatter designs worked better and Freya who did her turtle in a round tin which didn't give it the opportunity to spread out quite so much I thought was a very good idea so I, I think it's all in the planning it is a soft dough it is a lovely dough actually I like I like milk bread I just 
I have been making, uh, somebody's going to put me right here. Um, what are this, what's it called? The Japanese milk bread. It is delicious. I was wondering whether any of them would do it. What you do is you make this, in effect, a roux. So you take a certain amount of your flour out, you add water to it, mix it all up and to make a sort of quite a thick paste. And that goes back into the ordinary dough. And it is supposed to improve the texture and the keeping quality of the bread. And it, it makes a delicious bread, which is absolutely brilliant for French toast or anything like that, and slightly sweet. So I've been playing with that. So I must post some pictures of that. And I know Kim Joy loves this uh, Japanese milk bread and makes little piggies out of it and all sorts of cute things that she does. And, and I'm surprised I didn't see anybody making any of that. But I thought it was a good challenge. Yeah, I mean, you know what showstoppers like, they always try to make you create some something ridiculous in a short space of time. And it's what we all love because it's always, always very entertaining. And I think they did a great job this time. Absolutely. So, Dan, who's leapt out to you here? It can't be the best feeling in the world when you go up for judging and you get told... Did that really take you four and a half hours? And we had a couple of those and that that must hurt. Yeah, ouch, that does hurt. Um, but I actually just wanted to quickly piggyback off something that Jane just said. So you're referring to the Tangzong technique, I assume. Sorry to get boring on you for a second. I think part of the reason that we use that is because when you heat the milk, it kills a protein in the milk called glutathione, which inhibits the rise because it sort of retards the yeast. And that is the same reason that some people scald their milk when they're making milk bread. Uh, it does has the same effect. And also, Rashika used milk powder, which obviously has been the heat heat treated which kills that as well now i don't generally bother doing that at home because you've just got extra time to let it rise but when you're in a time pressured environment i was i was surprised that more people weren't scalding their milk or using a milk powder because i think that definitely would have helped maybe people don't know that because i mean i discovered that trick well into my bread journey so um maybe it's understandable that people didn't know it i didn't know that dan it was really interesting i mean i just made milk bread and didn't even think about it actually and sit there and wait for it to rise generally so it's really interesting to hear the science i'll try scalding my milk i think right? Jürgen would have known that. Jürgen would have known. <laughs> well, well, let's throw this to, to Howard, the question that I was going to ask to Dan. What do you imagine it feels like to be told by Paul Hollywood, did that really take you four and a half hours? You sort of know yourself when you're looking at other people's, I assume that you think, oh gosh, look what they've managed to achieve in that amount of time. And here I've got this. I think it's partly to do with design. It's partly to do with planning. Poor Maggie thought that she was doing something quite innovative and right from the word go when she said, I, I bet you've never tried this with seaweed in it. Paul said, yeah, many times. It's not as original as, as you think. So I, I think right from the word go, both Maggie and, and Rashika were struggling in terms of both their, their concept and also the kind of finished look of it, really. Yeah, certainly were. So let's talk also here about... Giuseppe, because it was this beautiful basket, Dan, of sort of treats for his family, fruit and veg. The design, it was in incredible, wasn't it? It was. I'm kind of jealous of people who can do this because I can't. Um, so I'm very good at like, uh, you know, like technique and traditional fare. That's what I enjoy. And when it comes to the showstopper, some people seem to be so 
able to effortlessly pull off this sort of simple but effective design that I know I could have done if only I'd thought of it. And Giuseppe, uh, his vegetables were like that. They did, like, when you sort of looked at it, you're like, okay, I can see how you can achieve that. That doesn't seem so difficult, but I, it just would, never would have occurred to me. And I thought that looked lovely. It, it was, to borrow one of uh, Paul's phrases, simple but highly effective. And I thought it looked beautiful. He wasn't the only basket that I loved. I also loved uh, Chiggs's. I thought that was great. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> what? Sorry, yeah. It wasn't the only basket that I loved. It was, was quite a nice line, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple uh, basket loving going on in, in this week's episode. But uh, yeah, you're right. Chiggs, uh, of course, who we should re- remind everyone, only started baking at the start of the lockdown here. So, you know, perhaps all the more impressive. Jane, just a final few comments here, maybe on the uh, on the showstopper challenge. Well, just on the baskets. I mean, Giuseppe didn't make his basket, did he? His basket wasn't made out of bread. His was a basket, no. wasn't it? Whereas Chiggs did actually make his basket. I don't know why everybody raved about Giuseppe. And you know how much I love him. His breads were lovely and the vegetables were lovely, but he put them in a basket. Whereas everybody seemed to make they seemed to make a lot more for Giuseppe. Yes, they were great. But he coloured up all the same dough and then painted at the end where, so I, I could almost have said, did you do that in four and a half hours as well? Not that I want to rain on his parade. I thought Chiggs did loads, Christelle did loads, Lizzie did loads. I, was, I thought Giuseppe was down towards the middle or just below on the amount of work. Oh, I'm sorry, Dan. Was that gasp, gasp, Dan, gasp? <laughs> he didn't make the basket, did he? He just made a few vegetables. Come on, <laughs> they were beautiful vegetables. They were beautiful <laughs> they vegetables, were. and he's utterly charming. And he could come and talk to me about his vegetables any day of the week. But I just didn't think he had done as much as some of the others. And Howard, just our final comment, really, on this showstopper part of the show was that we saw Jürgen I mean almost looking to hurt his bread as much as possible possibly to the extent of slightly annoying some of those around him yeah I did you know I found that in the tent because it was this slapping technique was something that I'd never done before before but off. We, it's quite shocking when when you've got other people around you hurling their bread around in that way it, I mean it does work it's just a different technique I'm more of a do it on the kind of bench person but I have to say Jürgen's milk bread baby I, I thought don't like the idea of that horrifying bit. have you seen train spotting <laughs> <laughs> What have you got for us this week, Howard? Paul, I thought by now I'd be over him. I really did. I just think he's, he's put a little bit of weight on. When Peter and I put on weight, we look like kind of reject jelly babies. He puts on a bit of weight and he looks like Zeus, doesn't he? It's like, it just makes me sick. <laughs> that is uh, the most justified hump you've ever done in three series of, of this show. Now, it's Judge Jane, where we'll all give our quick opinion. Star Baker, Giuseppe, was there any doubt, Jane? Oh, no, not at all. Right from the start. I mean, he smashed it, didn't he? Three, three challenges. And I think even if I wasn't as mad about his showstopper as Paul seemed to be, there was no way he was not going to win Star Baker. I mean, we haven't talked about some of the lovely bakes of the Lizzie's pig and the the wonderful sort of octopuses, pusses, octopi, octa, more than one octopus. I th- I thought they all did a lovely lovely job, but n- none of them did enough to pull up from day one where 
Giuseppe just smashed it. So yeah, well done, Giuseppe. I've still got my money on you for the final. I, I have no qualms, no arguments with who who won at all this week. I think Giuseppe's had a really interesting journey. The last couple of weeks, he's been very, very high and unlucky to miss out on Starbaker. And then in the third week, he finally wins it with this perfect weekend where he's sort of, you know, had a handshake, been first in technical and finally won Starbaker. And it reminds me very much of uh, one of Bake Off's perhaps greatest and most beloved contestants, me. Um, so, <laughs> unfortunately, I think this is foreshadowing a week six exit for Giuseppe. We'll be very sad to see you go, Giuseppe. Sorry you couldn't oh, make the final. Um, <laughs> we're we're going to call you Nostradamus if that does come true. <laughs> we'll be coming back to you. Howard, just before we leave, give us a word on Rashika leaving the tent. Was it the right decision? Oh, it was. It was sad, wasn't it? I mean, it was. It was obviously a close call with Maggie. But when she said she just wanted to have another chance and then turned away and because she thought she wasn't going to get one and sadly that, came, that happened. Well, as I said, we started off with 12. We are down to nine. Dan has just predicted that Giuseppe will be with us for three more episodes. So if you are enjoying <laughs> him, make sure you don't miss episodes four, five and six because apparently he might not be in seven, eight nine and ten we've hugely enjoyed doing these uh, classes every week we are teaching you something from the show we're, we're really looking forward to dan doing his class this week and we continue to offer those every sunday there are a couple of places left every week for people to sign up week by week some of those are already full so if you do want to join us make sure you sign up whilst we have about 25 other classes on sale so please do check out baitwithlegend.com slash online classes if you want to join us well thank you so much for listening thank you as always to jane howard and dan and we'll be back with another podcast next wednesday heard a stripped media production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.